He's an old head. Youngins are really starting to get on my damn nerves. He's a purveyor of nonsense. He's a Georgia high school coaching job influencer. His favorite Bible verse is Jesus wept. He's the man of constant sorrow, Chris Bam. Alright, welcome to episode 6. Today we have Andy Scott. He is a 28-year vet in the state of Georgia, a good friend of mine. I've known Andy for almost 20 years. Um, Andy has been an assistant coach, um, been a head coach for a long time at a lot of good places. And one of the one of the best things about Andy Scott is he's a true gentleman in the game. We don't have too many of those anymore. And I've enjoyed watching um, Andy uh, pay it forward and give back to us with, uh, I don't know if they're TikTok coach or Facebook uh, reels or whatever they are, the little video shorts you've been doing. They've really been a blessing to me to watch those. But um, everybody, I, I hope you enjoy the, the, the next hour or so with Coach Scott. Coach Scott, th- thanks for coming on with us. I sure do appreciate you. Heck yeah, appreciate you having me on, and uh, yeah, I've uh, you know kind of got into that, just telling stories, and uh, you know enjoy enjoy doing it. Uh, I think the, it seems like all the older coaches we spend more time calling each other or texting each other and and just sharing stories, and uh, you know I think you've given light to all the things that that we as coaches do, and you know you were talking about the DT or David Thrower. Uh, calling and talking to him, I think, you know, he and I, probably the shortest conversation we've ever had is, is 20 minutes. You know, sometimes they, they were long back in the day uh, as far as that. But, uh, you know, us, as us older coaches, uh, we love to tell stories. There ain't no question about it. Well, and I don't think the average everyday person realizes how, you know, I was at the recruiting fair and we were talking, there were some, there were some younger college coaches there and, I met up with Steve Robinson that was with us at Temple, and he we told a story, and he was like, I haven't been able to tell that story in 15 years because everybody thinks I'm lying when I tell it because <laughs> they don't believe some of the stuff we talk about. Like, they just can't believe that, no, that really happened. But um, you came to Georgia from Tennessee after playing at Middle Tennessee. Is that correct? That is correct, yes. I, uh, I you know, I tell everybody I was a backup offensive lineman and a long snapper. So I was that kid. I was the Johnny Tryhard. You know, I was just happy to, to be a part of the team and was fortunate enough to, to letter my senior year at Middle Tennessee. Uh, went and worked in my hometown for a year as the special teams coordinator and offensive assistant offensive line coach. Um, and then went back to Middle as a GA. Um, and I'll never forget this. My wife and I were married. It was kind of wild. I finished playing, coached a year, um, so, and we got married in December. I became a GA in January. So she doesn't know, uh, for the most part, any life uh, other than coaching. Um, and, you know, one year came into two. We were broke. We were living in married housing. She was going to school. Uh, she was working. I was being a GA, and I needed a job. And, um, you know, I'd interviewed with a bunch of different college coaches um, and just couldn't find a job. And then Rob Ridings called uh, Boots Donnelly. Uh, Rob's a a former Middle Tennessee great. And uh, I'll never forget the conversation. I'm down in the GA's office and he hollers my name and I come running and he says, if you 
ever thought about moving to Georgia? And I said, no, sir. And so he hands me the phone, and probably two, three weeks later, uh, my wife and I are packed up, and we're moving to LaGrange, Georgia. So uh, that was back in 1996. And I'll tell you, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. We moved in April. I started, you know, obviously that little, uh, what do you call it, limited contract. And uh, I was really spoiled. I mean, I had PE, uh, you know, had dude, we had a principal. Um, and some of the stories that I'm going to tell, I hope are past the statute of limitations so nobody gets in trouble. Uh, <laughs> because I think when you go back to the way I was, you know, raised and, and coaching, you know, those days are gone. So, let, you know, let's just, you know, you may, you may lure a paying it forward. Uh, I've been very fortunate to have worked for some really, really good coaches and been trained by some really good old school type coaches. And, you know, the one thing they kind of taught me from day one is, you know, it's all about how you treat people and how you leave places. And I've been a lot of different places and have always tried to do the right thing, be the right thing. Sometimes things don't work out at different, different schools, uh, regardless of, you know, how hard you work. Uh, but I've always tried to be a good person and, and things like that. And I think, you know, some of the stories I'm going to tell about Troop and coffee uh, would make you, make some of the people and administrators today like this flinch. I think, <laughs> uh, you know, David Throlican has told you many of them, many of the stories, but probably the best one is my very first day at Troop. Uh, I had outside duty, and the principal comes up, and he said, listen, you, the most important thing is make sure they all get inside. He said, but there's a handful of kids that go to the alternative school. He said, do not let them go in. And I said, yes, sir. I didn't have any idea and uh, who those kids were, obviously, on day one. So some kid comes bebopping off the bus, goes in, gets his breakfast. He's eating outside, and the principal sees him. And I've never seen anything like this in my life. And the principal comes up, and he puts his elbow right in the kid's throat and, like, threatens to, like, just wear him out right there and told him, you know, do not ever step, in, step foot in my school. And the kids, like, shake you know, drops his breakfast and whatnot. And uh, the bus gets there for the, the alternative school. And the uh, principal looks at me because that's how we do things around here. And I'm like, holy cow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, th- those days are over. Oh, yeah. Getting hands on kids and things like that. Oh, yeah. But the, but the type of school that, that he ran, now obviously he had some issues later, uh, later in his life as a superintendent, but uh, he was an incredible principal. And, you know, he used to go down to the to the to the weight room in his, um, you know, in his shirt and tie and, and bench press with the kids. And, you know, he was kind of a jack joker, and, and he enjoyed it. Uh, but you know, you look back on those times and you just think, wow, I can't believe that happened in a school setting. But everybody feared him, you know. And sometimes in today's world, it's it's hard for kids to kind of fear authority well they don't like no not at all but you know dt will tell one uh that the the principal did one time with him and uh, i wasn't that lucky now so i I started off in pe and then got shipped to social studies because i got a minor in history and uh but there were times where you know they cut on the, the the intercom and they'd say, you know, Coach Thrower, Coach uh, Jeter, are you guys in the weight room? And he's like, yes, sir. And then about 30 minutes later, they'd say, uh, guys, if you don't mind, please come up to the office. 
I need you to sign your evaluation. You know, they do teacher evaluations over intercoms, which, of course, <laughs> of course, with teams now, you know, that, that, that probably kind of shun and shun and defy, you know. <laughs> yeah. The good old days. Yeah, yeah. Those were the good old days. Who all was on that staff when you were at True? Man, I'm telling you, that was an all-star staff. If you look back, you had, you know, of course, Rob uh, has been everywhere. LaGrange, Griffin, you know, he just won – uh, gosh, maybe his fifth state championship as a coordinator. And I, I, I joke with him all the time. He played for one at Thompson as a head coach. But here's a guy who has won, I think, three state championships as an offensive coordinator and and maybe two or three as a defensive coordinator. Uh, but Rob was the head coach. Bubba Jeter was a defensive coordinator. Uh, Finley, fin, uh, Richard Finley, uh, Coach D-line. I got way, way too many stories to tell you about Rich. Uh, but Finley was a D-line guy. Um, uh, I, or, yeah, he coached outside linebackers. I coached D-line. Um, I think Gary Ward, who was a longtime uh, basketball coach there, he coached secondary. Uh, you had Chris Till, who was a great player at West Georgia. I think he's a head coach out in uh, Louisiana now. Um, Ken Aldridge, who became a head coach later in life. I think he's a, he was at Central Gwinnett. He's since retired. You had Mike Wagner, um, Bucky's boy, who was our OC. Um, I mean, it was just a, it was an unbelievable staff of guys. But uh, you know, I tell you, Rich Finley and I, we kind of hit it off. You know, he he had just graduated uh, from West Georgia. He and Chris Till, I think Chris Till was probably the first of the twenty-six-year-old, uh, you know, seniors in college. Uh, he may not have been that old, but uh, Till. Till would get frustrated at the quarterbacks and then just start throwing perimeter. And then he's staying right behind the quarterback and say, look, 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 can't you see that? Can't you see this? Uh, but Finley was in the weight room one day and I'd, I'd come down from, and you know, he's a weight room guy. You know, he just shot his uh, uh, death by squats and death by bench uh, video. Yeah, that was great. And it was, it was. And Rich ain't ever changed now. Rich has been like that since the day I met him. And uh, so we're in there, and he's working out, and I'm I'm in khakis and a collared shirt because I just came out of the classroom, and kids are in there power cleaning, and Rich had just got through playing, and I'm probably what four years away from uh, having ever stepped on the field, and uh, so I, I could go over in my khakis and I power clean 225, and Rich goes up there, and, oh okay okay I, I'll get this, and he did, and he goes on about three weeks. Uh, cycle of whatever uh, you know he could take, and he comes in, you know, about three, four weeks later, and he's power cleaning two seventy five, uh, just mad as all get out uh, at me. And it was funny because he started talking junk. And he's like, "Hey, let's go watch wrestling," because you know we had a really good wrestling. And and uh, DT told the story about you know our wrestling team and how good it was and things like that. But we're in there. And Rich is like, did you ever wrestle in high school? And I'm like, sure, no, I didn't wrestle in high school. He's like, well, I didn't either. And so we, you know, two guys full of testosterone just got through, you know, in the weight room. And he literally pins me in 30 seconds. He starts <laughs> laughing. I'm like, what, what's the crap? What's the deal, man? He's like, I was a two-time state uh, state, uh, state uh, tournament wrestler uh, back in high school. And I'm like, come on. I can't believe that. <laughs> the WWE uh, in the weight room. <laughs> yeah. He gets me in a hole, man. And, and 
I felt like I'm a pretty big guy, you know, and I'm like tapping the tapping the mat trying to get out from under. <laughs> and uh, it was he, he he didn't he didn't play fair. I can tell you that. But <clears throat> I tell you now, uh, one of the best stories I can tell you too is uh, you know I got there in PE uh, and Rob needed to hire some coaches, and so that second year I. Uh, I moved to social studies, which shouldn't, I shouldn't have ever done. I should have held on to that PE spot. But being a young guy, you know, thinking I'm, I'm helping the program. And uh, I needed a job somewhere. You know, one year turned into two. Two was about to turn into three. And even though I applied for a provisional, I never was never planning on taking any tests um, to get certified. And I'll never forget we're up in that office at Troop and DT says, you know, have you talked to anybody? I said, like, DT, I don't know anybody. He's like, where do you want to coach? And I said, well, you know, where's the the best place in the state of Georgia to coach football? He said, well, you need to, he said, you need to at least experience South Georgia. He said, buddy of mine just got to coffee job. And he pulls out, no joke, if your grandmother or anybody in your family, you know, uh, in their 70s or 80s has an address book, DT pulled out a book that looks just like it. It looks like it's 100 <laughs> years old, and it is uh, phone numbers. It's like a Rolodex, but it's a it's like a notebook, you know, the old address <laughs> notebook. And he goes through, and he finds Kevin's number, and, of course, you know, we kind of uh, connect there and, and uh, was lucky enough to, to go and, and work for, for uh, Coach Giddens at Coffee for three years, and I'm going to tell you, there's not a better offensive line coach and a better guy uh, than Kevin. And I know Kevin's, you know, trying to retire again, um, you know, from the GHSA. And he's done, a, he's done a tremendous job. I saw him up at the state championships. But, um, you know, well, I enjoyed was, every minute of that. What was the story at Troop about Wagner taking your clothes? Oh, man. I'll tell you fine. So, uh Mike, you know Mike's high strung. Oh, Anybody yeah. that knows Mike Wagner, and he will throw down in a minute. But uh, we had a we had like a, a Google office. You know, everybody in the same same coach's office. Everybody had beds, and I'm I'm very anal attentive. I'm like really OCD, and so every day, you know, every week, really, I would bring clothes for practice, and I had shorts, I had socks, I had you know uh, shirts, I had. Uh, sweatshirt. I like. I had a whole wardrobe of clothes that I bring each week. Well, Wag ended up. He would take my clothes, you know, and I'd be like, okay, if he took one or two. But all of a sudden, after you know a couple months, I come, I come up there, you know, for practice, and I ain't got nothing to wear. And I get in, and boy, he and I got into it. And I found some stuff, and we got through practice. And um, for some reason. Uh, my wife was coming over there. I think we were going to go out to eat or whatever. So me and Wag, we get to jaw jacking with each other. And I'm like, I need my freaking clothes, man. And so I flip his desk. And about that time, we're about to go to blows. And all of a sudden, my wife, you know, kind of is there. And he turns around and goes, hey, Claudia. And like the the the, the, <laughs> the dang, you know, it, it just completely uh, – de-escalated in a hurry. <laughs> yeah, I bet and, it did. <laughs> and uh, I was like, because, you know, every man, every man's like, man, I could, I could beat that sucker up. And then I'm looking at Mike Wagner, I'm going, he's been in so many fights in, in uh, Statesboro, Georgia. 
Yeah, I don't want no part of that. I, I probably wouldn't have came out of that real well. Yeah, I work with wags. At, I work with wags at, at Lithia. That's my boy. <laughs> that joker's crazy. Yeah. He is crazy. I love my. I talked to him a couple of weeks ago. He's enjoying uh, being retired. I know that. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Being a granddaddy. I know he's liking that. See, yeah. I went down to coffee with Tiny. Uh-huh. And how was that? Something about Milton Clements Farmhouse. Yeah. yeah, I'll tell you this. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm the king of severing contracts, which is not not financially sound uh, by any stretch of imagination. But when I left uh, True, my wife was pregnant. I left her in Lagrange, which wasn't very smart. No. And so I, I moved to Coffee um, around mid-April in order to get ready for spring practice. And it was really a, one of those cool situations where it's me, Kevin, uh, and Scott Ryder, the defensive coordinator, and a local guy. I don't even remember what Milton did, to be honest with you. But he had a uh, – it seemed like him and and Von uh, Royal, and there was a few other guys that we enjoyed some fellowship with that all had pond houses. And if anybody's from South Georgia or country, you know, it's, it's just a, a shed – it's a it's a mini put together house, you know, on a pond, a fishing pond, and I swear, for two months that I'm down there until my wife gets down there, we are fishing every day. I mean, it's like uh, low country bulls. I mean, it is the most awesome setup in the world, and I'll never forget. And I feel like being from Tennessee, I'm pretty country, and uh, about. Four or five o'clock in the morning that first day, I just hear, I'm like, I jump up. I'm scared to death. I'm like, is there a rattlesnake in here? Like, what's going on? And, you know, I hear it again. It's like, and so I come, you know, I'm I'm in their little loft area, and I come, you know, bebopping downstairs, and Giddens is like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, did you hear that noise? And all of a sudden, here it goes again. He just starts laughing. He said, Coach, that's uh, that's deer feeder. He said they're they're spraying corn. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah. He explains the whole concept to me, you know, of uh, it being a little hunt club. And I, you know, I've been hunting my, like when I was ki- a kid in Tennessee, but I don't remember ever uh, doing that. I was like, that's cheating. <laughs> they just, they all laugh. They're like, yeah, it is. Them yellow acorns. You got to put them yellow acorns out there. <laughs> That's exactly right. But I'll tell you this, and, and this is, again, another story. You know, my first two jobs in, in Georgia, I thought it was like this forever, which it's not. But, um, of course, Kevin hires me. We stay there and whatnot. And uh, so the very first day of school, you know, I show up and uh, have to do some things. But then I'm in my one of my first classes. And so um, I'm in a health class, and I'm introducing myself to the kids. This is I'm like I'm in the school. I have signed the contract. I've done fingerprinting. I've I mean I am signed, sealed, and delivered. And I'm on, I'm at the first day of the school, and uh, this lady comes knocking on the door, and she comes and introduces herself. You know, Joanne Bannon. Hey, you know, nice to meet you or whatever. And uh, she leaves, and I, I look at the kids, and I said, who, who's that lady? And they all said, Coach, that's the principal. And I went, what? You know, and I'm thinking in my mind, and I didn't really put it put it all together because I was young and didn't really understand much, but 
Like I'm hired and I'm working at the school and I've never met the principal. <laughs> and, but you think you think in today's world, you know, that's just you can't there's no way that those things go on uh in today's world. But you know, there was a guy, Jardine, whose whose dad, uh, Walter Jardine, whose dad's you know the stadium, Jardine Stadium's named after. And he kind of took in a took a liking to me and was really good to me. And so that first couple weeks of school, we go, there's a, there, I think it's, I think it's closed now, but it's right down off of Walker street in Douglas. It was a place called Scampi's and it was all you can eat. They got a little bar too, but we never went there. We just go to the restaurant, you know, and uh, it was all you can eat wings. And so we're in there and he and I are eating and it's, we're just having a big time. And there's an older gentleman, and he's just having a blast. He's drinking. And he's walking around, shaking hands, kissing babies and stuff. He comes up and gives me a big hug and says, hey, you know, Coach, welcome. Welcome to the Douglas. We're glad to have you. Blah, blah, blah. I said, you know, you need anything. Walter's got my number. You know, we'd be glad to take care of you. You know, ask me about my wife and whatnot. And uh, he, he walks away, and I look at Jordan and said, who's that? He's like, that's the mayor of Douglas. And I'm thinking in my head, I've done moved to heaven. This is this is unbelievable. I get a job, don't know the principal. I'm out to eat, and the, and the mayor of the town, you know, having a blast coming up and talking to me. And I just thought, man, you know, society is crazy. <laughs> but you know, but I tell you, you know, another one down there. My, you know, my son was born in Douglas, and so my wife, my wife stays there, and uh. She had gotten her her uh, certification was going to get to be a teacher, and you know, of course, we we don't know any better. We she starts applying, she interviews at a couple places, and uh, we had a superintendent was really really involved, and uh, he comes over to practice one day, and he's asking how Claudia's doing, if she's had any luck finding the job, and I said no, sir. And this was on a Tuesday, okay? This is a Tuesday in May. We're in the spring practice or whatnot, and I said. Uh, Knows if she hadn't found anything yet. She's interviewed, blah, blah, blah. He says, okay, I'll take care of it. So about nine o'clock that night, I get a call and, I, and and it was him. And he said, you know, is Claudia there? And I was like, yes, sir. Hold on just a second. And tells her that she needs to report to a certain school. And uh, so the next day I go to school or, you know, to, to, to talk and interview. Well, the next day I go to school and Giddens comes to me and goes, holy cow. He said, last night, the superintendent stopped the board meeting because they had a board meeting that night. He says, I am not signing off on any agenda item until Claudia Scott gets a job in Coffee County. He says, what, what do we have open and where is it? <laughs> and in today's, you know, hierarchy of, of needs, there's certain places that do that. And that's why I was so excited. You know, Steve White, who's still down there, I guess he's been doing it for 40 years, um, you know, then winning the state championship and just seeing the excitement in that community. That place is always, always from, from the time I was down there has always been hungry. And uh, Coach Coe and those guys, you know, they did an amazing job. They were physical. They were very Michigan-like. Yeah, it was uh, fun to watch them finally win one because they've, they've always been, you know, real into it. I mean, even their baseball program's always been just athletics in general. I mean, they, they, they get it. I mean, they know it's another avenue for kids to, to succeed and be successful and have an op- opportunities that they wouldn't get elsewise. 
Oh, no doubt. And I, you know, I joke, we, um, we had better equipment. We had a better practice facility, a better weight room, uh, coffee than probably 90% of the division two schools in the country. Like when we were, we were out there at practice, I coached so line, we had more toys than you could, could ever think of. We had pads we didn't never even use. We had a big old, big old, you know, shed. Wasn't really a shed. It was almost like a warehouse to keep the equipment. And I was the equipment guy. I mean, it was amazing the the amount of funds and support we had. We could just, we could never really get it going. We made the playoffs once, kind of got a, kind of backdoored in uh, because Bainbridge played an ineligible player. But, you know, we were in a region, and people talk about regions being tough. We had, you know, Valdosta, Lowndes, Colquitt, Tifton. Um, uh, That's back when Ware County was part of that region. Uh, Bainbridge, I mean, you can be good and finish fourth or fifth, and that's kind of where we were every single year, just right in the mix. We were a really good football team. We could never crack the – crack the playoffs and you know and I was down there 98 99 and, and 2000 in 98 about Austin won the state championship in our region and in 99 Lowndes won it uh, and 99 was the year we made the playoffs and played Brunswick and got absolutely shamboozled um, you know we scored on we scored on the first drive ran trap uh, and we had a fullback uh, Jake Olson who looked like Joel Michael from Nebraska and he pops one on Brunswick and, and probably 20, 30-yard touchdown. And we thought, man, we're up in this thing. And all of a sudden, they start tossing it to – I don't want to say his name was Ant Lee because I think that was a kid that played at Florida State. But they had a kid I, that ended up going to Middle Tennessee, and it was toss right, toss left, and it was touchdown, 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 touchdown. I think the final score may have been 42-7. to seven. Mm. Uh, but, but they ended up uh, – Losing the Lions in, in the uh, state championship game. Um, yeah, I was at that game on the sideline watching Coach Miller, and you know, because I lived with Matt, his son, at Georgia Southern, and you know, Coach Miller's always looked after me. So I went to that game, and that was the year that uh, they beat Northside in the in the dome. Came back from like twenty-eight to three down at halftime. Yeah, no, that wasn't for them. It wasn't wider wheel, but it was more of a, 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 a zone wheel that they ran. And when we played Lowndes, we scored on that play. And Steve White, who was our OC, of course, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning. Can follow, you know, we're watching a GPTV, and the phone rings, and Steve's like, did you see that? That's our play. They stole it. That's our play. Yeah, the hook and ladder. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, yeah, yeah, that's exactly right, you know. Of course they did. Now, what was the defensive coordinator that was there all those years? Clay uh, Hill? Randy Hill. Uh, Randy Hill. Randy Hill. I'll never forget, you know, I'm a young whippersnapper, and I'm, I'm ready to be a defensive coordinator, and I'm, you know, I'm trying to learn. And uh, they were wide tackle six forever um, at Worth. And when he first went to Lowndes, they were wide tackle six, and then they, you know, migrated to the 4-3. And that's what they were running when they did that. But uh, you know, I was a wide tackle six guy from uh, Middle Tennessee to LaGrange to, you know, what I was planning on and did run my first few years at Perry. And I had met with him and I said, so what do you do? You know, I understand 
a normal two back offense, but everybody's getting into this spread stuff. You know, what do you, what kind of coverages do you play against, you know, two by two? He's like, cover three. I said, what if they go trips, cover three? Well, what if they, what if they get into some form of a, you know, tight end triple uh, or just a nub tight end and trips on the other cover three? What about empty five wides, uh, cover three? I'm like, well, what else do you play? Cover one. <laughs> uh, okay. So, you you know, people nowadays are playing two, four, six, eight, you know, all these different variations of mod and match and rip Liz and all that. Like, you can win a bunch of games just being sound. And, and having those guys. Yes. Yes. You know, people talk about it all the time. And, and you know, I, I don't know what it is that um, – and I'm still the same way after all these years. I don't cheer for teams. I cheer for coaches. Right. You know, and, and you know, I used to be that guy, and I'm still this way. When I go places, I want to know what's the history of the coaches. And, and um, you know, when I first got to Perry, uh, after my first year as a head coach, I realized, you know, I was an idiot. And, uh, you know, was able to sit down with guys like Robert Davis and Luther Wells and Conrad Nix and Larry Campbell and Dan Pitts and, you know, just, just try to hear those guys and hear guys like Randy and hear guys, you know, like Milton Miller and, 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 you know, I, I just don't think in, in today's coaching that enough of the young coaches have a respect of the coaches that came before, you know, um, I just think, I just think that's one thing that, and I think that's society. I don't think it's just necessarily young coaches, but there's a lot of, um, you know, older coaches that really admire guys that have gone before, you know, and I, and I think the older I get, um, the more I appreciate the opportunity to like share stories like this with you. But, you know, I've been very fortunate to have, have a lot of really young coaches that have taken and, you know, I've been a head coach 14 out of 28 years. And the, the amount of guys who've worked for me that have gone on to be head coaches, I take a lot of pride in. Um, because, you know, you have to chart your own course. But at the end of the day, if you don't have a vision and you don't have somebody that, that you can call and get advice, and I still do that today. You know, when I was, when I was learning the 3-3, and, and migrating from the wide tackle six, you know, I'd call Donnie Branch at the Grange, and I said, like, well, what do you do about this? You know, what do you call that? Or how, how do you adjust to that? And then, you know, spending those years with Fabrizio at Lee, or that year of uh, Fabrizio at Lee County and seeing how he does things. And even today, you know, calling him and saying, have you, have you guys changed anything? Or what are your adjustments? Or can you share, you know, your tackling video, your practice video? and you know, every coach is different. I think, you know, the one comment my wife made to me that, that I'll tell everybody, you know, when I got, when I got the Perry job, she said, you know, she gave me some of the best advice ever. She said, whatever happens, do it your way. She said, eventually you're going to get fired anyway. So let's just enjoy the vacations, do it your way, do it the best you can so that if when, and, and if you do get fired, you'll look back and go, I did it my way. And, and I think that's, you know, you can't be somebody you're not. And I think there's a lot of coaches who try to be the next, 
you know, Davos Swinger, the next Nick Saban. You know, just be Chris Lamb. Just be Andy Scott. Just be whoever you are. Because, you know, Bubba Jeter told me a long time ago, the kids can tell the difference between crap shot and over. You know, they, they know who kids, who the coaches that are genuine. And when it all boils down to the kids and, and how hard they play for you, you know, John Bobo told me a long time ago, and, and, I've, and I've seen a lot of coaches that I know that have shared it in the past, but, you know, he used to say that there's a lot better coaches than there are good jobs. And he said, don't ever look, because he and I used to talk, and I'd say, Coach, I want to coach in college. I want to someday coach in the NFL. And he'd just laugh. He goes, well, why do, why do you think that's any different than coaching in high school? He said, when you watch teams play, are they fundamentally sound? Do they line up correctly on both sides of the ball? And, and you know, you've been a part of good teams and a part of bad teams. There's times where you turn on that film and, boy, we look good until the ball snapped. Right? <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, golly, we were lined up right. <sighs> we, didn't, we didn't touch a soul, you know. Um, but watch teams. Are they fundamentally sound? Do the kids play hard? And are they physical? From that point on, and it's a Jimmy's and Joe show, you know, and and the best players normally win. And But when you have two teams that are both really, really good and one is fundamentally sound and they're very physical and they play hard and they play together, that's the team that wins state championships. Those teams that are really, really athletic, yeah, they're going to make the playoffs. But then they're going to meet a team. You know, I, I joke and people don't want to hear this. When I moved when I moved to the Metro Atlanta area in 2012, you know I'd spent 17 years south of Maine, and during those 17 years, I we played against like 14 state championship teams from 2012 until, gosh, 18. There wasn't a team in our region that won one up here, and Marietta won it finally. But you people don't have any respect for how good a Hawkinsville was, how good Peach County is and was, how good, you know, teams like Wilcox County was and Darty and Cairo and, uh, you know, Colquitt County and Valdosta. You know, when Valdosta won at 98, they didn't have any kids that went to college. You know, I'll never forget, we have sitting in, you know, staff meetings at, at – uh, coffee and I'd be like, I lost the high school, 23 state championships, six national championships, and they they ain't very good. But when that ball was snapped, they had 11 kids on defense. They had a nose guard that was probably 5'10", 175 pounds. That was absolutely unblocking. They had two 6'3", 190-pound outside linebackers that were unblockable. And you're like, okay, well, we're not beating them suckers. <laughs> You're like, oh, I get it now. <laughs> yeah, and and you know, you talk about in your your hot hotness about uh, Tifton. You know, I'll never forget Brody and those guys. You know, there were a lot of those guys that worked for them that were about to retire, and they just went down and coached middle school football. And people don't understand in the metro, South Georgia has a bunch of coaches that still love to coach, but they don't mind doing middle school weight training and middle school football. And those kids are getting so much better coaching. You know, the days when Thomas County Central ran the veer forever, 
you know, they were running the veer from the sixth, seventh, the eighth grade. You know, those kids were coming out the shoots, um, you know, every single day for those three, four years leading up to the day they ever stepped on campus at Thomas County Central High School. And I, I think, you know, th- those, those places down there are legitimate football factories. I think teens now feel like, you know, it's the transfer portal kind of thing. Let's just get us a bunch of dudes and let's just line up and play, you know, cover two and, and man under two deep and let's just ball out and throw it all over the place. And then they line up in the playoffs and get mollywhopped by teams from South Georgia, you know. Well, your first head coaching job was at Perry, wasn't it? It was, yeah, in 2000. I was, uh, I was a head coach in AD uh, 2005 to, I guess, 9 or 10. Something like that. Yeah. And like I said, you know, I, I had no idea what I was doing. I was very fortunate to get that job. And, and we made the playoffs and we made it to the quarterfinals. And, you know, I texted with Kevin when they won it this year, just excited for that community. There's kids on that staff that played for us that were on our team. And, you know, a lot of people that are still there. I was, you know, uh, on the sideline with Casey Hayward. And, Torin Smith and a lot of kids that, that played for Sydney Swan. Um, and uh, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it, that's another place that could just never get over the hump. You know, when, when we were there, you know, it was always Northside Warner Robins and Houston County wasn't very good and the veteran wasn't, wasn't, didn't exist. Uh, but it was always, I'll never forget, I was at the bank of uh, the, the Perry Bank there and uh, I was getting some money on a Friday and the lady's like, who are you for tonight? And I'm like, I'm for Perry. And she goes, no, no, I'm talking about uh, one where I was north side. And I'm like, lady, I don't, I don't care about that game. You know, she had no idea who I was. And, uh, but, the, you know, that's that whole uh, Houston County was built around them and for the success that Northside had. And then all of a sudden the success that Warren Robbins has had, you know, that place is hungry for football. And I was, I was happy for those folks in Perry and Kevin and that whole staff of uh, being able to do that, Cody Mahler and, and Justin Rogers and all those guys that played for us. Tyler Rogers, not Justin Rogers. So you coached Casey Hayward. Get off the field. I, yeah. Yeah, that was funny now. It wasn't funny at the time, but, you know, uh, we we used to do this uh, little prayer uh, announcement kind of thing before practice. And Casey, this was when he was a sophomore. You know, he was kind of talking. And I kind of jumped on him, and he back-talked me. And uh, I lit into him hard. And, uh, you know, he kind of, he kind of. I mean, you know how kids are. You, I think the older you get, the more you can get on a kid, but don't back a kid in a corner, right? Mm-hmm. I kind of back kid in a, back case in a corner, and I've kicked him off the field. And as he's walking, I've got an assistant coach right, right beside me. Do not let him leave. And I'm screaming at the top of my get your, you know, off this field. And I'm looking at the assistant. Don't you let him leave. And I, then I turn, you know, and I'd scream something at Casey. And I'd scream something at him. You know, uh, uh, James Moore, J- J-Mo, I was like, hey, man, do not let him leave this field. Do not let him. And he'd walk over there and he got, got him corralled, but. Casey was an unbelievable player. You know, he was an all-state uh, uh, defensive back. And, of course, had a great career at Bandy and then uh, with the Chargers and then uh, Green Bay and, and just got hurt. I think he's still on the roster for the Falcons, might be injured reserve. But, you know, he was our quarterback. He didn't – he probably 
played 15 snaps a game at DB. Uh, but his senior year uh, intercepted seven uh, passes and took all seven back for touchdowns. And the, probably the biggest one was against Peach County when we beat them in, in 2007 for the first time in 28 years, beat them 48 28. That was a huge, huge win. But Casey was definitely a, deep, a difference maker. You said something about going deep sea fishing with Kaiser. Oh, shoot. Kaiser, uh, Jeff Kaiser just retired from Statesboro now. He was a he was our OC. And uh, uh, he used to tell stories. He, he and his dad uh, were legendary for doing some crazy stuff. And Jeff was kind of the guy for those people that know Jeff Kaiser. Jeff's a big, you know, flamboyant, uh, just great storyteller, whatnot, you know. The way the offices were set up there uh, over in the auxiliary gym, he would kind of sit on his desk. There was nowhere to sit, so all the coaches would kind of sit out in the hallway, sit on the floor, and it was like he's up there, and we're all down here, and he's telling stories about he and his daddy's, you know, deep sea fishing and whatnot, and we're like, dude, you know, what, what were you talking about? And he starts talking about these fish, and that was around the time that Google – you can look up Google on your phone. And so I'm Googling the fish he's talking about. And so I start going along with him and I'm like, so what color is this fish? And he's like, it's, it's kind of a bluish, you know, uh, color. And like, how big is it? (laughs) And then I start passing my phone to another coach and then another coach and then another coach. And then Sean Masters finally hands the phone to Jeff. He goes, y'all, 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 son guns, y'all didn't have any idea what I was talking about. If y'all would have never looked this up, I'd have been fine. You know, so we like <laughs> called him in a lot. But, you know, you wonder how many, how many folks sit around and tell stories that are completely false. But uh, Sean Masters just said, Jeff, come on, man. You got to, you got to tell us the truth here. In 2007, you had a no shave November? Oh, yeah. We, uh, that was kind of the year we got, we got on a run, uh, had some big wins, and then, you know, my wife, I guess everybody in the 90s, and I don't know about you, but, you know, uh, we all had mustaches in college, which were just. I did, I did not. Come on, man. You're a little bit younger than me, but uh, we had mustaches. And then I kind of, I didn't, I mean, I shaved completely from really 96 to 07. And I begged my wife, I want to grow a beard. I want to grow a goatee. You know, she's like, no. No, no. And then we start winning and everybody's like, we're not shaving. We're not shaving until we lose. And all of a sudden, you know, we, we all grow these semi beards. And then if you remember anything about the true no shave November, when it started, you would do some really stupid stuff. You'd grow sideburns, <laughs> you just do some crazy stuff. Well, the night we played uh, Harris Rainbow in Worth County, I, I shave a goatee and, you know, we win that game. We beat LaGrange uh, in Perry, which was a huge, huge upset. Uh, and then we're going to North Hall and, you know, we celebrate that win. And for some reason from 2007, November 2007 till today, I still have a goatee and it's, I mean, it's completely white now, but it was, uh, that was that was my only way to get her to let me grow a goatee. But we kind of we 
started winning and she enjoyed it, you know, she liked it. So sometimes you gotta, you gotta trick your wife into letting you do things that sometimes she might not agree with. Where did you go after Perry? So after Perry, I ended up going to, uh, they opened up a new school up in Walton County, uh, Harris Rainbow, who I knew real well, was a good friend of mine. He got that job. Uh, I went up there. It was a tough place just because hey, we didn't have any players. It was, like I said, a new school branching off from Monroe area and, and Loganville. So I was probably there seven months. Um, you know, and then I, I left there and I was at, I went to Lee County, um, probably the, the best move I ever made as a, as a coach was to go and work for Dean Fabrizio at Lee County. And, you know, I think, you know, looking back, I probably should have never tried to be a head coach. I enjoyed it. Um, but you know, when you're, when you're a head coach, man, you, you have so many other things that you do that you just wish you just want to coach ball. And part of the, the deal, you know, my wife telling me to do it my way is even when I was a head coach, I, I for the most part ran the weight room, ran the defense, coach linebackers or, or secondary. And uh, working for Dean, I was in ISS all day. All I did was watch film. I, I did the defense, you know, called the defense. And then, you know, about halfway through January, February, I get a call from Matt Moody, who was a buddy of mine who was at Harrison at the time. Hey, the Kennesaw Mountain job's open. You, you need to do it. And then a couple of days later, Phil Ironside, who uh, was a good player at Middle Tennessee, was at Hillgrove. Hey, you need to take the take the Kennesaw Mountain job. I think it'd be a good job. And, you know, I go up there six years, uh, moved to Kennesaw Mountain, and you know, tried to try to do everything I could to, to get it right, but uh, you know, um, just couldn't. You know, it was a seven A school. We had probably seven eight hundred kids in a math science magnet school that I didn't really uh, know about until I took the job. Which you, know, you look back and man, you probably should have done your homework on that thing. Um, but I enjoyed it. My son graduated from there. It's as good a, a school day as you'll ever meet. Um, but uh, you know, did the Walnut Grove, Lee County, Kennesaw Mountain, and then after I left, I was at six, I was six years at Kennesaw Mountain, and then uh, went to Hiram uh, as the DC. And uh, Pete Coleman, I was incredible to me. You know, I look back. You know, the the time I was at, with Fabrizio as, as a defense coordinator, as good a job as you'll ever have. I should have never left. And then when I worked for Pete Coleman, I as his defense coordinator for three years, he was as good as gold to me. I had an easy job, did the defense, I helped, I assisted in the weight room. I really didn't do nothing but coach football. And then all of a sudden, what happens? You get, it's, I need to be head coach again. I need to be head coach again. And probably should have nef- never left Hiram. And then uh, went to Lafayette, uh, was, you know, up there or still there for three years. And, uh, you know, not really sure what the Lord's got planned for me, but it's got to be something uh, somewhere closer to my house. I never never was fortunate enough because of the Biden economics or whatever the, the case may be to, to move to Lafayette. But I tell you, it's a, it's a great place. Got great kids, great facilities. Uh, you know, the support in the communities, unbelievable. Uh, it, somebody's going to, going to get a really, really good job. I think it's a great position. Um, but 
you know, I just couldn't couldn't really afford to move uh, this late in my career, especially with the housing market and the interest rates being what it, what they are. But uh, you know, I'm kind of that in betweener guy right now, just trying to see what what's out there. You know. Well, tell me about Wade Stewart versus Brent Fullwood. Uh, one of the funniest things I know we all as coaches, uh, you know, all feel like we're athletic. And Wade Stewart worked with me at Perry and worked with me at Kennesaw Mountain. And, and Wade, when he was in high school, he was in, he was a really good athlete, played baseball, played football. And but as he, you know, we all get older and, and bigger and grumpier and whatnot. Wade, Wade is the constant. He's, he's now a special teams coordinator, uh, secondary coach at, at Cartersville. Uh, still a real good friend of mine. But Wade, Wade talks major league junk. And Brent Fullwood's a former Auburn great, former NFL, you know, guy that coached their running backs, and they get the jaw jacking one day. And uh, Wade, Wade's like, hey, man, I will race you. And if you have ever been around coaches who race, what's fixing to happen? Somebody's going to pull a muscle. Yeah. Somebody's going to pull a hamstring. And you got Brent Fullwood, who's all a 6'1", 230. He looks like he could play for the for the Green Bay Packers still. And they line down and they take off. And about 20 yards in, Fullwood blows his hamstring and Wade Stewart beats him, you know. And Wade's probably, you know, giving him some. He might be 5'9". And Fullwood's this big, long, athletic-looking joker that played at Auburn with Bo Jackson and those. He like, you know, that's just coaches, coaches being coaches, you know. Those are some crazy ones. I do have to tell you this. Uh, you know, one of the stories I wanted to share. You know, we. I don't want to really say the program, but one of the things that I think makes coaching fun is there's, there's certain kids that need football more than football needs them, right? And we all, as coaches, are always walking through the halls, and for some reason, we're always migrating to these kids with special needs. You know, every place I've ever been, we've always had either a manager or a player with special needs. And one of the schools that I, I worked with up here, we had a young man. He was a manager as a sophomore. Coach, can I play? And the head coach was like, no, 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 no. Gets to be a junior, coach, can I play? No, 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 no. And then gets to be a senior, coach, can I play? Now, listen, you're not probably not going to play in any games. Not sure how we're going to get you eligible, but we're going to figure it out. Uh, and we kind of did what everybody does. You know, the varsity watches film on Mondays and what, you know, then you have the, the JV Super Bowl outside scrimmage. And uh, this kid never, never went to film with us, but would always go outside and do the JV Super Bowl scrimmage with the young kids. And as we're walking out late in the season, he's out there and he is making tackle after tackle after tackle. And we're like, holy cow, what in the world? And all of a sudden, one of the, the sophomore kids that just left film jumps in there with the JV scrimmage and takes off on a little run and kind of makes a juke. And this kid looks like he got electrocuted, right? A special needs kid. He's running to make the tackle, and he, like, just locks up, legs straight out, 
you know, arms straight out. I swear to God, it looks like he just got electrocuted in, in, in the middle of the field. All of a sudden, he starts running, and he's grabbing his pants. And we're like, what in the world? He's like, Coach, I done crap my pants. I crap my pants. Oh, no. I, I don't think there was, a, there was a human being on that field that was not laid out on the turf laughing. Oh, no. You know. Poor fella. Yeah, poor guy. But, of course, he went back in, cleaned himself up, and came back out for practice. And he, of course, what, what was he? He was in my position group. And I'm like, oh, oh, you just need to stand over there. We're, we're, not, we're, not, we're not letting you practice or touch anybody today. Uh, but I think that's one of the cool things about coaching. It's just, you know, how we all just pour in the, to the kids that we coach. And, you know, we all, we all go different places. And Kevin used to tell the story. You know, when, when I was a young coach, you, you kind of, and, and you always think you're supposed to hate the other team. And Giddens is like, listen, we're all battling the same issues. We're all battling kids coming to practice. We're all battling kids, you know, making poor choices. You know, and he used to always say, don't put yourself in a position to make a bad decision. And you try to, you try to mentor kids. You try to help kids. And at the end of the day, we're all just trying to get kids on the bus, get to the game, you know, try to do the best we can with what we got. And and I think that's one thing that if I've learned anything in my, you know, I spent three years uh, in Tennessee prior to coming down here and all my 30 years of coaching is, like, to get to know the guys you're coaching against. You know, the days of going to the 50-yard line in pregame and hugging everybody's neck and talking and stuff, you know, those days are, like, unless you know somebody, those days are over. And, and I, I feel sorry for the game and for coaches now that that don't have, you know, we, we don't have a Rolodex anymore like DT had. We all have numbers in our phone. But if you can't pop off a text or, or you know, if you don't have a chain of 20, 30 guys that, whether it be Christmas, Thanksgiving, New Year's, hey, congratulations, big win. You know, one of the coolest things ever is like getting text on a Saturday morning from somebody that you worked with 20 years ago, you know, that you talked to and things like that. And that's probably the coolest thing about coaching that I that I enjoy and, and miss and uh, going to miss when I do retire is just being around guys and just sharing, sharing fellowship and, uh, heck, that's how I met you, you know, in 90, 90, uh, the, the off season of 96, 97, you know, I'm in a dang uh, hospitality lounge with, with uh, Bubba Jeter and Rob Ridens and you walk in and, um, and we've been buddies ever since, you know, um, the days of the GA, GA what, what was it, GABSB event uh, and all the, the great stories you like. You just somehow figure out a way to backtrack those and write a book of all the, the lessons because. Well, I'm writing two books right now. I'm just so scatterbrained that it takes me a, a minute. I got one that's going to be just kind of like my journey and things I learned. And then another one that's just going to be like these stories. Yeah. <laughs> So I am working on it. Somebody's going to beat me to it, I'm afraid, yeah. but that's okay. They can read. They can read two yeah. of them. <laughs> yeah. It's like I was saying, I think, you know, and you and I have done this, and, and other coaches 
that I've been around to do this. You know, like I'll, I'll call you or text you and say, Hey, I got to share this. And then you're like, that ain't nothing. Listen to this, you know, and then <laughs> I think like, are you, are you for real? That's all you got. And, you know, we kind of all one up each other because you never know unless you're in it, how good or bad the situation is. Oh, yeah, I had a coach today telling me about one of the jobs that are open, and he was like, Coach, I can't put this out there because, you know, I don't want to, you know, I love the kids, and I, I don't want to burn any bridges, but here's the real deal, and I know how you are. You'll tell it because you don't care, you know, and he laid it out, you know, bad support, bad this, bad that, and um, and I was like, yeah, that, that ain't good. And, um, you know, I just try to help people, you know, yeah. know ahead of time. Choices. Well, yeah, I mean, because it's like I said before, every one of these jobs, somebody's going to take them. And, um, but, you know, I mean, don't make the same mistake we did. You know, yeah. we, we were raised by the old heads and they're gone now. And like you, like you said earlier, I think that's something that has changed with society is we had to wait our turn. Like when we were coming up, there weren't, 30-year-old and 35-year-old head coaches. That just wasn't a thing. Like, I mean, it just didn't happen. And now it is because so many of the older guys retired and got out that there was a need, and there were people that were, you know, willing to go for it, where we didn't even think about trying to be a head coach till we were 35 to 40. Exactly. I mean, it just didn't yeah. cross our mind and because we, we knew yeah. we weren't ready. And now these guys are like 27, 28, 32 years old, and they're like, Oh, I can be. I can do that. Yeah. And you know, and they, I think one thing it. that you that you brought up, and it's true, is every single place has good, and every single place has bad. Okay, there is no utopia. No matter how how good you think you got it, um, and I think at the end of the day, you got to see what can you put up with. You know, do you have the kind of support and enough players to be successful? And sometimes the answer is no. You don't. You just don't. But that urge for many of us that I want to be a head coach so bad, I don't care. I will fix it. You know, uh, when I was, let's see, 28 years, let's see, 26, 27 years old, I got offered the head coaching job in my hometown. And I called Coach Donnelly and I said, Coach, what do you think? And he goes, listen, whether you're the first choice or the last choice, if you want the job, take the job. He said, but I have to say this, what makes you think that you're going into a program? He said, I'm not trying to be ugly, but you're going to go into a program that's never won. And you're going to be the magic, you know, pixie dust. And all of a sudden y'all going to start winning. He said, if you think that's true, then you're not as smart as I think you are. He said, you do what you want to do, but you're not, you're not new Rodney. You're not. You know, Bear Bryant, I'm sorry, but if you're thinking you're going into a program that's never won and you're going to be the magic pixie dust, you're in for a rude awakening. And, of course, I turned the job down and, you know, ever how many, I guess 2005, I, I was 35 when I got my first head coaching job. So, But prior to that, like you said, I'd paid my dues. You know, I'd been the equipment guy. I've been the, the CDL guy. You know, I mowed grass, line fields. You know, that, that goes back to a whole nother gamut of young coaches. Like, nobody wants to do the weight run. 
do you not know how to fix a helmet? You know, do you not know how to do laundry? You know, I think there's not enough guys. And what heck, we were the ones that were just there with the old guys doing it. And we felt bad if we didn't do it. You know, uh, I don't know. I think, I think just society in general, but you know, I'm not I speak no will of young coaches because my son's a young coach, but he was, you know, that coach's kid, you know, like Grayson, he's always around. He just, he knows what it looks like and all that kind of stuff. He kind of, you know, tries to do it through osmosis. But I do believe that, you know, a lot of us old guys um, are the last, like what, you know, what the, the DT talk about, the Hodges OL camp, what did they used to break it down on? The last of the hard, you know, the tough, hard-nosed, gritty, this is how we do it you know, kind of guys. And I tell you, I, I enjoy being and talking to those people. Well, I sure have enjoyed having you on today, Coach, and you've been a blessing to a lot of people and, and the impact you've had on young people, whether it be players, coaches, people in the community. Um, it's just obvious, you know, through your videos and your talk today, just what the profession's meant to you and as I put in the in the bio, just a true gentleman of the game, in a game that we just don't have many of those anymore. And uh, just definitely one of the best dudes to me. Always been good to me. I mean, there's four or five guys that I've always just said, you know, man, he's a good dude. And you've just always been a good dude to me. And I sure do appreciate you. I appreciate you too, bro. And, um, you know, I can't wait to see you again. And I sure do appreciate, appreciate you being on with us. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Enjoy. All right, man. We'll talk to you later. Yes, sir. Thank All right. You. Bye-bye. Yeah.